You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Michael Kasdan. Well, Mike, we're back with another episode. And today I thought we'd talk about loneliness, a topic that's been receiving a lot of attention recently and actually has been increasing in in importance the last few years, um, mainly because of its potential public health threat. Yeah, and we often hear loneliness talked about, or at least I have, um, as connected to public health and mental health um, and also health, you know, in general. Um, but I thought that the topic is, is broader than that. So I'm glad, glad we're taking a a deeper look at it. Um, I think some folks might say, well, why is this an inclusion topic? Um, and I think it, it, it's very much, um, a topic about inclusion because it's really about the connection between all of us. And I know, you know, there are lots of, I I think our isolation has increased a lot lately. Definitely. Um, And, and, uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's well known that, when you look at what underlies bigotry and racism, a lot of studies point to um, isolation and not being out there, you know, next to, you know, neighbors who are different from us. Um, and I think the, the kind of increasing isolation here in the U.S. and abroad, um, I think it's bigger even than than mental health or public health. I think it, it you know, it goes deeper. So I'm excited that we're going to get a chance to talk about it. And I know that at least when I hear loneliness, um, I often hear about, I think about it on an individual level, like this person doesn't have friends, that person. <laughs> and, and I think it, it's, it, there's like a stigma attached to it too, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but I think it's also important, like other issues we talk about to think about them institutionally. It's not like, oh, you're a loser, <laughs> you're lonely. It's this issue that that's much bigger and broader in our society. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think sometimes where people tend to think about loneliness is people who are older in age or you know, yes. maybe in their 80s or 90s. But really, you know, well, there are other personal characteristics that can lead to loneliness. You know, it could be your ethnicity or think about people who are disabled. You know, that can be a very kind of lonely kind of um, situation to be in. Plus other things, you know, uh, there are a lot of reasons and causes for loneliness. And and I think this is a great topic. And, and hopefully we'll explore a little bit more of those here in a few minutes. Yeah, I think it also ties into technology. Um, Definitely. You know, know we, both, we both work in, in tech and in patents and innovation um, and think a lot about these kind of digital issues. But, you know, the, the image of a bunch of people on their cell phones, you know, riding a subway car when you walk in or kind of anywhere, exactly. everyone's kind of staring down, isolated rather. Not, not that we're always, you know, gregariously chatting with everyone we meet in the subway, but it is noticeable. And I think, you know, the, the social media. and Definitely. Having our devices kind of, you know, there's a technology sort of piece to this that's also important. Absolutely. So, well, what really prompted us to get into this was you sent me an article that Hillary Clinton recently wrote in the Atlantic magazine that was entitled The Weaponization of Loneliness. And she referred to a report earlier this year by the Surgeon General, um, Dr. Murthy, entitled Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, which warns that a growing epidemic of loneliness and isolation threatens Americans' personal health and the health of our democracy. 
So, Mike, um, why don't you talk a little bit about what Senator Clinton was referring to in that article? So, yeah, if you haven't read the article, I think it's really worth a read. A friend of mine sent it to me. Um, and, you know, it starts by talking about the public health and mental health side. And I think that that May 2023 report from the Surgeon General and the fact that Surgeon Generals um, uh, and public health officials are talking about loneliness, uh, you know, we should pause on that for a second and think about the significance of that. Um, but what was really interesting about this article to me, and I didn't realize Hillary Clinton wrote it until I kind of got into it, um, was tying it into also what's happening uh, in our politics and kind of the rise of right wing, you know, authoritarianism, conspiracy theories. Yep. Um, so, so for me, it just connected a lot of dots. Um, and that's why I thought it was kind of interesting to, to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And and some of the statistics are just mind boggling. I mean, the article talks about how half of all American adults are experiencing substantial levels of loneliness and that over the last 20 years, we've spent more time alone. We've been engaging less with our family, our friends and our people outside the home. And I do definitely think there's uh, a tie to somewhat to technology there too, because now you can stay home and you can stream your movies. You don't have to go out and and you can stream your church service and all these other things. So we're, we're losing that sense of socialization. And another stat that was really disturbing was that by 2018, just 16% of Americans felt attached to their, their local community. And I did some research and the U.S. isn't the only country that's experiencing this. Great Britain also has a campaign to end loneliness. And and their stats are very similar to what we're experiencing here, where in 2022, almost 50 percent of adults, almost 26 million people in the U.K. reported feeling occasionally lonely or more often than times and not feeling very, very lonely. So. I don't think it's just a uniquely American problem. I suspect it's probably a global problem. Yeah. And I think it's been happening over time, accelerated by technologies, by certain technologies, I think. Um, and I think it's not just social media and smartphones, but those, that's kind of the latest turbocharging wave. Yes. And I know COVID, COVID was another thing that really sort of turbocharged it because we Definitely. were actually isolated. Um, so, you know, and now, and now coming back from that, you know, that, it, that there, there's, there's, a, there's an effect. But, but I, th- I think about, you know, Hillary Clinton's It Takes a Village. And in the article, she talks about how um, what she was noticing when she first coined that phrase way back when in the 90s, uh, where, you know, more Americans were isolated watching, you know, cable television. Um, and she was seeing the rise of these conspiracy theories and right wing politics. Yep. And so um, I think it's it's you know there are always sort of changes techno- changes in technology, um, but I think the, the you know those things have really accelerated. I was just speaking this weekend, um, you know, to to my daughter uh, about how people used to if, if my friends wanted to talk to me like they had to call my house phone or talk to my dad and you know yep. my parents then knew my friends and they knew who were calling and just the amount of isolation that's possible with the little device we hold in our hands um it, it, it is really high impact i think yeah the the phones that we have the internet and the computer setups we all seem to have in our homes now and even our televisions hook up to the internet so you can you can you know just spend hours just even on your tv and it is, I think, super ironic. Um, and I often push back about it where, you know, I have conversations with my dad where, you know, he takes a strong position that social media is bad. And I talk about the good parts, but, um, you know, there are, there are real, real things to contend with. And I think it is really 
ironic that these technologies and advancements that are really supposed to connect us all and connect us all um, in in ways that are large and vast in ways we've never been connected before. Um, but at the same time, it's increasing our loneliness, our intimate one-to-one local type connections. We might be connected, you know, through the internet and be able to get news and and be in touch with people across the globe in, in a certain way. Um, but I think it's kind of ironic and, and interesting that that's also increasing our disconnect. Absolutely. It is rather ironic the way that that is playing out. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when we disconnect from our family, friends, our work colleagues, and even our community. Yeah, and this is and this is the public health piece of it, or I yeah. guess you know we can start there. But the the things that you know the UK was looking at in that article, the things that our Surgeon General um, is looking at, um, you know, these are statistics that you know when you're lonely, um, you have you know, increased risk of things like dementia and depression and stroke and heart disease. Um, those all statistically skyrocket when we're isolated. Um, I know there's also a, a, a paper from, from Johns Hopkins University um, from 2022 that found socially isolated older adults um, had a higher chance of developing dementia than their peers. Um, I think you also have this... Um, and and the article talks about this as it sort of bridges from the public health to sort of the politics piece of it. But loneliness, uh, you know, generates more anger, more resentment, more paranoia. I think you're more in your own head. You're more susceptible um, to that type of stuff, you know, than than when you're in community. Yeah, definitely. And and some of the information that I found talks about how a lack of connection can increase the risk for premature death to levels that are comparable to smoking, believe it or not, 15 cigarettes a day, which was just incredible to me. Um, And Dr. Murthy warned that we'll continue to splinter and divide as a country until, you know, we can't stand any further as a community or a country. And, And those are pretty ominous. And we're so divided as a country right now as well. And if that isn't scary enough, you know, out of the UK, they have some statistics on just the economic cost of loneliness. And they have some studies that mention that the cost of severe loneliness is about uh, almost 10,000 pounds per person per year based on impact on well-being, health and work productivity, and that it's costing UK employers about 2.5 billion pounds a year. Uh, because loneliness is causing employee sickness, uh, caring activity, productivity, and staff turnover. So, you know, this is not just a, a minor problem. This is a very significant issue. Yeah. And, and it's this like two headed or at least connected um, thing where it's the, the health issue. Um, but also this, this polarization issue where, you know, we have less community we know less people in our community we're less connected to people there's less civic engagement and social cohesion um and so you know we have now a very polarized you know political landscape uh, a lot of animosity a lot of susceptibility to what seems like this sort of rising wave um of, of right-wing sort of sort of hatred and i think to see that this is all kind of connected um to me was really eye-opening yeah absolutely and then I think the other thing that is disturbing to me is the lack of community involvement and people just becoming more and more isolated because, you know, when I was growing up on as a kid, you know, 
there were those communities of block parties, the neighborhood would get together and do things as a group. And if you needed something from your neighbor, you were there. But now if we're becoming so isolated that we're just becoming so uh, centric on ourselves, you know, what does that do? And and we're starting to see that. And I think that's what Dr. Murthy was warning about. You know, these communities are going to fracture. And when a natural disaster or something happens where typically communities come together and support one another, you know, what does that mean going forward? Yeah. And I think, you know, when we say things like community and civic engagement, you know, it sounds to me like it sometimes sounds, you know, fairly abstract. Definitely. Um, but, but I think there are, there was one statistic and, you know, we talked about um, elderly people being more susceptible to, um, you know, dementia and mental health issues. But to me, there, there were some statistics in this article that like, that really blew my mind in a bad way. <laughs> um, like there was one that, that leapt out about, you know, young people. Um, yes. I think that also ties into, you know, social media and being online. Um, and I don't discount, I, I understand, um, that, you know, online connections can be connections. And, you know, there are certain people that my son knows in video games, and those can be real relationships. But um, but from 2003 to 2020, um, the average time that young people spent in person with friends declined by 70%. That's crazy. 70%. Yeah. And, then the, and then the pandemic happened. So that's, I mean, wow. Um, that to me, like, really drove it home. Like, we are not with each other in, in, and connected, uh, in ways that we used to be. Um, and, and, you know, I think it, it, it's causing, you know, big impact. Yeah. I remember as a kid, you know, Saturday morning, my parents would say, go outside, go play and don't come back to lunch. And then we'd have lunch and it was like, don't come back till dinner. And we were out <laughs> playing with the kids in the neighborhood, doing all kinds of things. And, you know, that statistic that you just mentioned is really disturbing because that means kids are either playing in their yards by themselves, maybe with some siblings, or they're inside on their devices, which, as we've been talking about, isn't a good combination. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that can be done to help combat loneliness. Um, Mike, do you want to talk about what the article mentions on this front? Yeah, and I think, you know, to me, the, the article, I, I thought it was good, and it's, but it's, you know, it's a, conforma- it's a conversation starter. Uh, I thought it had some good ideas. Um, you know, some of them start as general, but you have to kind of drill down. Um, but I think, you know, you know basically the, the theme was, um, you know, it still takes a village. So we yeah, still need to kind definitely. of rebuild. Yeah, we need to like rebuild that, that connection. So, you know, f- things like putting families first, um, investing in community infrastructures. Um, there's definitely a level of, you know, paying attention to technology um, and protecting kids, um, you know, a- as needed from technology that's designed to be sort of addic- addictive and, and often isolating. Um, and then I think, you know, fundamentally, um, really getting back at, you know, our, our core values of of sort of mutual responsibility and empathy. That's That's any community, any country, you know, to be successful, you know, we need to have empathy for each other. We need to understand each other and we need to, you know, be all in it together. Um, And so I think, you know, those were some things uh, that the article mentioned, at least on a high level. Yeah. And Um, I'd like to add one to that last one about, you know, mutual responsibility and empathy. And I think where we've kind of gone astray as a country too, is that you can disagree with someone, you and I, 
don't agree all the time, Mike, and we can be respectful about it and respect each other's differences of opinion without getting angry and without, you know, shooting vitriol and everything else. And I think we've lost a lot of that, that it's okay to disagree. Um, it seems like now if, if for a lot of people, differences of opinion just leads to such uh, anger, animosity and resentment and in some cases, paranoia. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And it's a, that, that's a tough one. It's tough to find a way back to that because for me, exactly. I think, uh, at least when I, when I talk to my parents, they always, they talk about how there was this sort of centrism and this like compromise where people disagreed, but then you sort of met in the middle, but then, you know, there are certain social issues that I think people feel like we can't really meet in the middle. And there's also been this sort of increase in being really transactional and aggressive about things and kind of winning things. But I do think it all, it, it all, it's all connected. So I think if, you know, if we had a, a, a gestalt of community, um, you know, I think we would be less kind of aggressive and transactional and try and find those compromises and try and listen to each other better. So, so yeah, I agree. I agree with your addition. Um, I think all these things are, are, you know, none, none of them are easy. Yeah. And it, it's really important because the article talks about, um, political scientist Robert Putnam in a comment that he made about American social ties and support networks collapsed in the second half of the 20th century. And things like activities and relationships that had defined and sustained previous generations, things like going to church services, joining a union, club and civic organizations, they've all started to, to disappear. And I mean, I was just reading some articles about how fewer and fewer people are going to church and churches are really struggling. And, you know, regardless of what religion you are, there is a, a, a lot of social element to going to church. You chat with people before you go in and, and you have the service. You chat with people when you come out. And, you know, with those types of things, joining unions and other civic organizations like the Rotary Club and things like that starting to disappear, you know, you know, again, it's it's contributing to this this epidemic of loneliness that we've been talking about. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, the piece of the article that talked about, you know, sort of this long view of history, um, you know, it, it's interesting, but also scary when you say like, this has kind of been a slow thing that's happening over time. And, you know, looking at, uh, you know, things like the erosion of unions and those clubs and, you know, religion and not, not that those have to be the things that you come together um, to do. But we're not coming together in, in those ways and creating those spaces where there's sort of shared ideas and different people coming together. And and I think that, you know, diverse and robust social networks, um, you know, are, are part of what makes that, you know, makes for the American dream, really. Like it makes for up, upward, you know, social mobility um, and also, you know, makes for a more, you know, equitable, you know, society that we all, where we all respect each other. So, you know, looking at how that's eroded during the second half of the 20th century, taking that long view and then looking at some of these things that, that you know, we're talking about more these days, like, you know, social media and its impact, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of easy to see uh, where we are, but it's not not fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's go back to the impact of social media again here. Um, we've been talking about it here and there throughout this podcast so far. But you know, what do you think the impact of social media has been on this epidemic of loneliness? 
Yeah, I mean, so I have to like eat a little crow here because I'm always <laughs> the person in my family conversation. You're on social media you know, a lot. But that's okay. I, I, but, but you know, I'm always the person in my family conversations because for me, I, I derive a lot of benefit out of social media, I think, because it connects me to people that I've met uh, over time in different groups. And, um, you know, I know when I was like writing for the Goodman Project, I had this entire group of people that I'd never met in person um, that were smart and we were sharing ideas and sharing articles. Um, but you know, it would be silly for me to say that that's my universal experience or anyone's universal experience or to ignore kind of the downsides. And, you know, we all see, um, you know, the bad parts of it um, and, you know, the, the, the sort of types of interactions. Um, and, you know, I know, and there's also been, you know, studies that have shown that, you know, the use of social media for like 30 minutes a day, yeah. um, you know, the more time we spend online, less time we're spending interacting with our communities. Um, and that can erode trust. Um, and, you know, and, and studies have shown that, you know, we struggle more to find common ground or feel empathy uh, with people with different perspectives and experiences like you were just mentioning. Yeah. And it was interesting to me keeping kind of on this um social media theme. Uh, Dr. Murthy followed up his initial report in May on loneliness with a second report um, only about 20 days later regarding social media usage among teenagers. And, you know, there were some pretty disturbing stats in here. And he, one of them, for example, he was saying that heavy social media usage amongst teenagers is driving a dangerous increase in depression and other mental health challenges. And, you know, I have some uh, nephews who are teenagers now, and and it's you know it's kind of scary to see what kids do to one another and the way they can manipulate images and things like that, and and use social media to to bully other kids. So it really can be um, well a good tool, a very dangerous tool as well. Yeah, and yeah, yes, and certainly while our phones are awesome tools, and you know, social media can can be great. Um, I think it's it's hard to refute that they can also be pathways where, you know, bullying and abuse and misinformation and outrage is just like piped right into our brains a lot. And and I think, you know, the statistics, um, especially among young people that were in um, Dr. Murthy's um, second report focusing on social media, um, you know, really, really disturbing um, from from in the 20 years from 2001 to 2021, um, the suicide rate among people in their early 20s Ugh. increased by 60%. Yeah, it was a horrible um, statistic. And for 10 to 14-year-olds, so really young kids, uh, the suicide rate tripled. Um, and of course, it's hard to divine. You know, you can't be like, it's just this one thing. Uh, but when you look at that time period and kind of, you know, what's changed, a lot of it is, uh, at least, you know, one thing that's very prominent is having having cell phones, having smartphones and, and social media. And, you know, there are a lot of anecdotes and stories um, that make, make it important to sort of focus on that as an issue. Yeah, ab absolutely. And it's going to be interesting to see, given that second report and the impact on teenagers, you know, what schools and, and parents choose to do with that. I, I mean, I haven't seen anything yet, but it, it's going to be interesting uh, to watch. There was an article in the New York Times a few weeks ago um, about, you know, camps, summer camps. Um, it actually was a summer camp that I went to when I was a kid, uh, but they now have, 
you know, social workers and therapists on staff and, um, you know, just having to navigate those issues. And I think it's, it's good to have those professionals there to help navigate those issues and, and, and deal with it. But, you know, it is, it's a, it is another sort of epidemic size issue. So there's that mental health piece. Um, and then, you know, on our topic today, loneliness, this, this topic of loneliness and disconnection, um, you know, the other, the other thing that this article did was tie it in and sort of connect the dots as to what it means, um, you know, for our democracy. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, I, I agree with, um, with, with Hillary Clinton that it's, it makes us more susceptible to polarization, Absolutely. less able to pull together, yeah. um, to face these challenges that we, you know, we can't solve alone. Um, and when we're less invested in one another, and I know, you know, America's got this long history of sort of, you know, rugged individualism, but, um, but, you know, it, it's also got a long history of, you know, pulling together as community. And that's, that's kind of really what it takes in any, in any society, you know, to function well. Um, and I, I think we're seeing a lot of cracks today. Absolutely. I think you're spot on about that. And, you know, the question is, you know, are those cracks, you know, becoming divides that, we're not going to be able to cross at some point and, and hopefully not, but it's going to take, I think, quite a bit of work to kind of seal those cracks up and, you know, get past where we are now in terms of polarization. And, you know, I think uh, some of the anger and other things that we as a country are experiencing, a lot of which is, I think, due to this loneliness epidemic that we're facing and we've been talking about. Yeah. So, one of the things the Surgeon General's report did was it laid out a framework for the U.S. to establish what he called a national strategy to advance social connection, which was based on six foundational pillars. And I thought it might be helpful just to briefly talk about some of those pillars, Mike, because um, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to, to get our views on whether or not we think they're viable and, and even realistic, given everything that we've talked about so far. Yeah, no, I love that. So I'll, I'll take the first one, which is to strengthen the social infrastructure, um, which I think is really important. When we think about infrastructure, we think about bridges and roads, but um, but I think that social infrastructure, um, which you know, as we talked about, so many of those those opportunities for engagement have kind of eroded, um, and you know, where we sort of just recess back into our our homes or our individual screens. So I think. Part of what the report focuses on is um, creating, you know, spaces, you know, so not just uh, influenced by individual interactions, you know, connection is also influenced by physical elements of a community, um, like parks and libraries and playgrounds, but Absolutely. also the programs um, and policies that are happening. So um, I think a focus on social infrastructure, um, and I think it's notable that like so many things, um, local is really, really important. We spend so much time um, talking about, you know, national politics and how polarized it is, but how important local, local politics is where, you know, and, and local communities designing environments that promote connection um, and, you know, getting in there and establishing, you know, community connection programs and being able to scale them um, and really investing, you know, in these institutions that, that, that bring people together. So I, I think that's a great one. Absolutely. And the next one was enacting pro-connection public policies. So here it was talking about national, state, local, and tribal governments and the role that they play in establishing policies, things like um, having accessible public transportation or paid family leave, 
to help enable more connection amongst communities or families. And I think other things, you know, uh, in Chicago here, we see things like free museum days, Mm -hmm. you know, free concerts in parks and things like that to try and get people out and about and interact in a more socially connected way to get people out of their houses and, and interact with one another. And I think there's a real need for that. And, you know, I don't know what we can do on a, a national level level other than maybe, you know, like a national non-loneliness day or social engagement day or something that is a country we try and get out and it forces us to interact uh, as one unified country together. But something like that would, I think, go a long way. Yeah, and no, I love that. And I think that pro-connection public policies, it's like you said, it's programming that encourages it, but also policies that like reduce uh, the friction that can keep people away from things like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's well worth, you know, brainstorming what we can do, uh, at a, at a scale level. I know, you know, when I lived in Japan, they have a national day called sports day where like all, oh, cool. <laughs> really? know, we're like, you know, yeah, every, every school, everyone like gets out and does like mini Olympics type stuff. Um, you know, I think things, things like that, that bring us together as a community doing things at the same time. Not that I want more like Hallmark holidays, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, definitely. Maybe like national get out of your house day. <laughs> something exactly. like that i don't know yeah so um you know another thing you mentioned in this report was mobilizing the health sector um because you know loneliness and isolation are risk factors for um a lot of major health conditions like heart disease dementia and depression like we mentioned uh as well as you know for for premature deaths um so you know making sure that 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 you know the health sector is mobilized and the healthcare providers are well positioned to assess patients um, for risk of loneliness and to intervene. Um, and I think you know the Surgeon General being out there talking about loneliness as a public health issue, I think really you know helps to, to take a first step in that direction. Absolutely. We definitely need more resources um, put into that sector for this problem. Um, as we talked about before, there are a lot of you know, um, health effects that that loneliness can cause besides, you know, some of the mental issues that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, The next one is reform digital environments. And this is a big one because we really need to critically evaluate our relationship with technology and ensure that how we use our technology doesn't distract us from having meaningful and healing connections with others. And I really worry about young kids, teenagers, because they are growing up you know, so relying on their phones, a lot of them have trouble, you know, having communicate, you know, conversations with people that I I do think we need to, you know, figure out how we can have more of a symbiotic relationship with technology instead of one that's becoming all consuming, like I think we see with many people. Yeah, I think, you know, and I have some some hope here. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to look out and just and see uh, how disconnected people are and when they use technology and how it's so designed to be addictive. But I also think that, you know, that there's a whole level of technological advancement and a lot of, a lot of smart people thinking about, you know, technology that helps us be more intentional about <laughs> technology, like actually being human centric and, and helping. And, you know, these problems have been bubbling up and people are talking about them. The fact that, you know, social media is designed to be so addictive and, and, you know, what can we do about it and having your sort of technology solutions and also sort of, uh, you know, policy solutions, I think, uh, you know, something that's going to be a big focus for the next, next couple of decades. Another um, pillar that's mentioned in this report is deepening our knowledge. Um, And so, 
you know, that's, uh, you know, always the case. Like we need a more robust research agenda. Um, you know, there's certainly there's evidence that's outlined in the, in the advisory. Um, but we need to keep looking at this to understand it better, um, to further our understanding of the causes and consequences of, of social disconnection and loneliness. Um, you know, do more work to identify, you know, at risk populations. Um, and also, to identify and measure the effectiveness of efforts to boost connection and combat loneliness. So, you know, putting resources behind the continued study of this really big, important issue that intersects, you know, mental health and public health and democracy itself and community, um, I think is, is really, really important. I would love to see real resources invested in this. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a need for it. And, and hopefully we can see it both on a national and state level as well as local level. Yeah, I agree. And then finally, the last one is cultivate a culture of connection. And so the informal practices of our everyday life, the norms and the culture of how we engage with one another, you know, this significantly influences the relationships we have in our lives. So we can't be successful in all the other pillars unless we have this culture of connection. So we really need to you know, get back out and, and do some of these things, whether it's get out in our community, have the, you know, participate in those kind of, you know, neighborhood parties, those, you know, go to those free concerts, you know, get out and interact and connect with one another and, and engage. And I think that's something we definitely need to get back to because we've gotten so far away from it. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that we were able to talk about this, this topic, this topic that connects so many dots. Um, you know, I think like humans are, we're social creatures. I know, you know, some people are introverted and some people are more out, uh, extroverted. Um, but, you know, human beings are social creatures and, you know, we've weaved these communities together and, and kind of a lot of this, I think, talks about sort of getting back to original principles. Um, and um, so I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk about it a little bit. I know that, um, like I said, you know, there is a stigma, like no one wants to say, oh, I'm lonely. I don't have friends. But but I, I hope that this discussion has really focused more on the the bigger institutional issues, um, these kind of big tectonic shifts, um, you know, sort of in communities, you know, because of technology and all these other social things going on, um, that this isn't just an issue for individuals, but for, for all of us as, you know, in, in, in community. So that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Um, Lisa and I will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasdan at wigan.com.